0: So we continue in our series on Nehemiah, guys. Did you hear the story this week about the blind construction worker? This it was a, this is a crazy story. He picked up a hammer and saw. <laughs> you guys, thanks for the pity chuckles. So Nehemiah, the entire book of Nehemiah is about building. So I, I just kind of thought it would be fun to start with a little construction humor. Um, it didn't go over very well. I don't know if you guys have noticed, if you've been around for a little bit, the, the set, we built this set a few months ago. Um, and I had uh, Joel, who's up in the sound booth, and Juan and Andrew come one Monday, one Monday morning to help me build the this, build this set. I had the, the idea and the vision for it. It's something I had seen. I learned something that day. You leave the building, the leading of the building to those who are actually in construction. This guy is a pastor, and I fumble my way through stuff. So I did all the the, um, material estimating and, and all of that stuff, and this guy estimated materials wrong. I gave instructions wrong on how to cut the lengths of wood which meant that Andrew, who is in construction and owns his own construction company, was running around to different Home Depots to pick up the wood that I didn't get enough of. And the white core plastic that you see, I didn't order enough of, which is special order and special cut. And so I had to order that. And so as we're getting ready that day, I brought in my tools. And I thought, I mean, I've got a, I've got a few tools, nothing awesome. But I, have, you know, I brought in my circular saw, my drill. And Andrew looks at me and goes, whoa. Pastor Craig, that's a real uh, Bob Vila saw you got going there. And then he says, I should have brought my tools. (laughs) Listen, of all the cool tools that are out there, and there are some really cool tools, I still think the shovel is the most groundbreaking. (laughs) I think I got more moans than I did chuckles. I'll, I'll stop now. That's the end of the jokes, I promise. I promise. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open it to Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapters 3 and 4. And if you don't know where Nehemiah is, open to the middle of your Bible. You'll find the book of Psalms and go back to books and you will find the book of Nehemiah. The end of chapter 2 that Renee talked about last week, we have this one statement that says, we will arise and build. And then chapter 3 begins and it is inclusive. This entire list of everyone that was working on the wall and where they were working and what they were doing. We can, be, we can be honest, right? We should always be honest. This is not the most riveting chapter of Scripture. It's literally a bunch of names that are very difficult to pronounce. And it is just things that they did and built. That's That's the end of it. But we cannot miss what it is that God is speaking to us through this list of names and tasks that they were doing because it speaks to the overall story of rebuilding of the walls, rebuilding of the city that was lying in ruins. And it was important enough to include these people in the overall story of the Bible. So look at chapter three, verses one and two. It says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it, set up its doors, and consecrated the wall to the Tower of the, of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanel. Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. So we got in, his, in this, this chapter, we have people who built gates, and we have people who built walls. The thing that stands out is every job and every part, every assignment is important. Every job is vital. What you do matters. What you do matters, even if it seems insignificant in the grand scheme of things. The truth is, it's only insignificant in our own eyes. Nothing, no assignment is insignificant in the eyes of Jesus. When he asks you to do something, that's a high calling. I worked with a pastor one time who used to say this statement: If God has called you to dig ditches, then it is a step down for you to be the president of the United States. Because when God gives you an assignment, that is a high calling for your life. But I only hold babies in the nursery, but but I only I only open the door and I say hello and good morning to people that are coming to church, but. I, I only walk around and I help take up the offering. I only, I only help with the media and the live stream and, and, and sound. Nobody even sees me. I'm just, I'm just a part of the prayer team. I'm just a mom. I'm just a dad. I just, I just go to work. I just provide for my family. I, I, only, I only coach my child's sports team. What you do is important. What you do is vital. You are seen. And you are valued for you and what you do. Look at verse 7. It says, next to them, Meltiah the Gibeonite and Jaden the Moronathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, made repairs to the official seat of the governor beyond the river. Some people built along the edges of the wall, they built seats of city governance because in this day and age, city governance took place on the wall. And so they were rebuilding the literal seats of government. People would come to the city officials who sat on the wall and they would present their cases. They would present their problems. Decisions would be made. This is where land was transferred. This is an important section of wall, but jump down to verse number 14. It says, "Melkiha, the son of Rekeb, The official of the district of Beth Herakim repaired the refuse gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors with its bolts and its bars. This is the gate of the city where all the refuse, where all the trash left the city. It all went out one gate. And the literal translation is not not literally, they, they, they made it sound nicer. It's it's the dung gate. This is the poop gate. How would you like to have your name attached to rebuilding the poop gate? We are literally thousands of years later, we are reading this in scripture, and this guy's name is attached to rebuilding the trashway. Every assignment has equal value. It does not matter if you clean up messes around the church that nobody knows about and nobody ever sees, and you clean it up before someone ever sees it. Or if you lead the church family in worship and you stand on the stage and you play the piano and you sing beautifully, you are important. Your assignment is valuable. You are seen, you are noticed, and you are counted on. Don't ever let the thought come into your mind, well, if I, if I, don't, if I don't go today, no, they'll just find someone else to hold babies in the nursery. Maybe. But you are counted on. You are important and you are vital. What really matters is how you do your assignment. What's my attitude like as I build the wall? Am I grumbling about my sacrifice? Am I grumbling that I'm just building wall and I'm not building a gate or a door? How's my heart? Am I complaining about how much time it takes? Look at verse 20. It says, after him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section toward the hill. From the angle in the wall to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Baruch burned with passion, with zeal, and with great energy as he built. Listen, he wasn't building a gate or a door or a seat of governance. It was just a piece of wall. There was nothing. He built from the angle to the door not the door. He just built the wall in front of him, but he had great energy. He had great passion, and he built with that energy and with that passion. Build the wall in front of you. Fulfill the assignment that God has given you and build the wall with passion, not with grumbling and complaining and looking at the person beside you who's got a better job than what you do. That's not what God asked you to do. You do you. You fulfill your assignment and do it with great passion and with zeal. Whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. See, what we cannot lose sight of is that your assignment right now plays a role in the grand plan of God and in the grand plan of your life. And if you don't understand what you're doing or why you're doing it, that's okay. Most of us don't understand what we're doing or why we're doing it. Seriously, raise your hand if you know exactly what you're doing in life and why you're doing it and how it plays into the grand scheme of God. Now look around and see how many hands are lifted. We're all in the same boat. Most of us are clueless as to what we're doing and to why we're doing it. But here's the thing. Understanding is not required. Obedience is. I don't want to serve a God that I can understand. I'm sorry, I really don't. I want to serve a God that's beyond my understanding, beyond my ability to wrap my head around him and understand everything that he asks me to do and, every, and, and, and all the little intricacies. Because if I can fully understand God, then I've reduced him down to me and to my size. And God is nothing like me. Thank you, Jesus, that he is nothing like me. My job is to be obedient to what Jesus is asking me to do, to be faithful and to build the wall in front of me because obedience unlocks the next steps of your destiny, not your understanding. There was a time in our life where God had directed us to step out of full-time ministry. We were leading a school of evangelism and God directed us to to step away from that. During this time, we, we then moved from one city to a new city. And I began working in management at a plastics factory. Now, it's not as exciting as that sounds because it wasn't plastics explosives. It was plastic buckets. It was a bucket factory. And we were volunteering at our church in the nursery. This was both a difficult season and it was a restful season for us. Restful because we had just left a church where the situation wasn't good, where we weren't treated well as staff members. And so we needed time to step back and to rest and to heal. So it was restful, but it was difficult because we, we, we knew that we were called to full-time church ministry inside the walls, leading people. That was our calling, but that wasn't the assignment. See, your calling and your assignment don't always line up, but your assignment will always lead you into your calling. The assignment that Jesus had given us at the time was to work faithfully at the job that I that I had, and to serve faithfully in the nursery of our church. So Renee and I chose to be obedient to the assignment and faithful to what God had put in front of us. We were just building the wall in front of us. You know that season, it didn't last a month, half half year, it lasted a few years, and. I've to be truthful, building that wall got really tiring and it got really old. I tell people often when I talk to them and they're like, they're, they're struggling with their assignment and their calling and what it is that they're doing. I'll tell them the story of this season in my life and I say this, you know, it's like you take a sports car and you take it and you drive it off-roading. Like you can do that. You can take the sports car and you can drive it off-road. It's not meant for that. It's not built for that. But you can do it. That's what it felt like in my life. I felt like what I was doing, I was not built for. But I could do it. And that's what Jesus had asked me to do. So I was faithful to that assignment. And I didn't understand. But one thing I know, God never wastes a thing. He never wastes a victory. He never wastes a trial. He never wastes a trip through the valley of the shadow of death. And he never wastes a mountaintop experience. Whatever you go through in life, God will not waste it. God will use it in your life if you allow him. See, I didn't understand the assignment, but God did. And he used that assignment working in me as I built the wall in front of me. And today, I use the leadership skills that I learned in that management position almost every single day day. He was working in the church that we were attending. As we built the wall in front of us, as we just held babies in the nursery, we played a part in what God was doing. Because we freed parents up to come and sit in the service, to worship, to hear the Word, to receive ministry, to receive health and healing, the things that they needed, the encouragement that they needed. And we got the the opportunity, the blessing to hold their children, and to pray blessing over those children as we held them, as we, pray, as we prayed with them. See, obedience unlocks the next step of your destiny. Your assignment is to build the wall in front of you. You know, church family, we've got some broken walls here. We've talked about it a little bit off and on. If you're, if you're visiting or you're new to our church family, We've gone through some leadership transitions. Renee and I recently, five, six, maybe seven weeks ago, became the lead pastors. After we had been on staff here as staff pastors for for about five years, a couple of our pastors had moved on. Long-term pastors, 14 years, 20 years. That's difficult when someone that you have walked and done life with for that long transitions, transitions out and God gives them another assignment in another place. It's okay. It's not easy, but it's okay. You know, I've said this to Melissa a few times. Right after those transitions took place, I walked into the kitchen on a, on a, on a Tuesday where we do food distribution Tuesday and Thursday mornings. And I was talking with Melissa and she looked at me and she said, Pastor Craig, it's going to be Okay. I said, Melissa, I'm going to need you to tell me that a few more times before we get through this. And she'll often, she'll look at me and she'll say, Pastor Craig, it's going to be okay. Family, hear me. Look at me. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We will get through this. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be painless. I'm not even saying that we're going to do it right or that we've done it all right. But together... We will get through this. These are our broken walls. So we can stay here. We can sit down and we can stare at the broken walls. We can talk about the broken walls. We can process the broken walls, which all of these things are important to do. Nehemiah did these things at the very beginning of the book. But at some point... Family, we have to move forward. At some point, we have to begin to rebuild the walls. Last week in the prayer room during pre-service prayer, shameless plug for pre-service prayer. If you're not joining us for pre-service prayer, this is your official invitation. It's just through those doors and immediately to your right from 945 to 1030. Listen, pre-service prayer has been off the wall, intense and powerful. So like, so into what God's doing, okay? 9.45 to 10.30, Sunday mornings. So this word last week was given to Renee and I. It's not your job to build the entire wall. Can I just tell you how much pressure and stress in that moment was lifted off of our lives and off of our shoulders, knowing that we didn't have to build the entire wall? The word went on to say, you build your portion. Build the wall in front of you and assemble a team. Equip a team. Empower people to build the rest of the sections of the wall. We do this together. We build the walls together. We rebuild together. We move forward together. We will build the wall in front of us. And we will rally and we will equip and we will empower and we will mobilize people to build alongside of us. Family, it's time to rebuild the walls. Will you build with us? Will you build with us? Because there's work to be done, but we don't do it alone. We build together. Chapter 4. Here's the thing about building. Building is exciting in the beginning. Building is really exciting at the end. But then there's the middle. There's the middle. And if you're like me and you're like, you know, Not you're kind of handy and you kind of know a few things, but mostly just enough to get you in trouble. And then you have to call your friends who actually know what they're doing to say come and help. The middle is horrible because you've just got a bunch of pieces of wood laying on the ground and there's mess and there's dust everywhere and you're like I don't know if this is coming together. The middle is difficult. This is where the struggle comes in. This is where the doubt comes in. This is where your friend comes over. Your friend who looks at what you're doing is like, gee, dude. I don't think so. Look at verse number one in chapter four. It says, but when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious, completely enraged, and he ridiculed the Jews. The enemies heard that they were rebuilding the wall. The enemies heard that the people showed up and that they were mobilized and work was getting done. And the enemy showed up. When you show up and you begin to build the wall in front of you, you begin to work at the assignment that Jesus has given you, the enemy shows up. The enemy shows up to tear down, to steal, to kill, to destroy, to discourage you. Listen, don't expect the enemy to show up and discourage you if you're not doing anything. If you're just sitting down, staring at the walls of your life and just, just sitting there, you're not moving, you're not building, you're not doing anything, don't expect the enemy to come along and, and, and provoke you. Why? Why? because you're not doing anything. But the moment that you decide it's time to show up, the moment you decide it's time to build the wall in front of you, to fulfill the assignment that God has given you, you can bet your last dollar that the enemy will show up. The enemy will begin to speak self-doubt into your mind, and those thoughts will come into your head. What are you doing? It's when you partner with God in the assignment of your life that the enemy looks to stop Look at verses 2 and 3. He spoke before his brothers and the army of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews doing? Can they restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the heaps of dust and rubbish? Even the ones that have been burned? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, even what they are building, if a fox should get up on it, he would break down their stone wall." What are these weak Jews doing? Are they going to rebuild? Can they finish in a day? Like, listen to some of the, the ridicule. It's ridiculous. No, they're not going to rebuild the walls of the city in a day. They didn't come down in a day. They're not going to go up in a day. Can they make stones out of dust? Can anyone make stones out of dust? No. Jesus alone does those things. But this is the the, the doubt that the enemy sows into our life. What are you doing? What are you even a part of? Do you even have a place? Where did all the people go? What is happening there? Look at the pain. Look at the hurt. Don't you understand that people are hurting? Look, even what they're building, they're not even building it well. The enemy is going to speak discouragement into your life. and He's going to bring ridicule. He's going to try to keep you looking at the ruins and not at the progress that you're making. He will criticize the work that you're doing. And this is going to come through the battle of the mind. This is self-doubt. It's going to come through also the voice of people. And more often than not, people that you know and people that you trust and people that you have relationship with. Because who listens to people that don't know you anyway? Right? If somebody walks by you on the street and they start shouting, what are you doing with your life? You'd be like, okay, random dude, whatever, right? But if it's somebody that you know and if it's somebody that you trust and is like, why do you even go there anymore? What are you even doing? Those are the seeds of self-doubt. Well-meaning, good-intentioned people will try to stop you from completing the assignment that you've been given. Listen, and I don't believe for a moment that they are purposefully trying to tear you down. But there is a spiritual battle taking place. There is a reality the Bible talks about that is greater than the reality that you can see and the reality that you can touch, and that's the spirit world. There is a spiritual battle taking place, and the enemy will manipulate people. So we can't ever, ever forget that our battle is not against people. Our battle is in the spirit world. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, of, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And those dark forces work through people, but people are not the enemy, regardless of who they are. They are not the enemy. So then how do you respond to a battle that you can't see when the attack is coming through people that you see and know? You pray. You pray. Nehemiah prayed. Verses 4, 5, and 9 records his prayers. We battle on our knees. We fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. Let me ask you this morning, do you have your armor on? Do you have your armor on? Because if the answer is no or I don't know. Listen, it's time to get in the game. It's time to begin to play the game that you're already in. You're just not aware of it. Don't leave your house. Don't go to work. Don't go to school. Don't come to church. Don't engage in spiritual warfare unless you have your armor on. That's like showing up to a gunfight with a knife. You don't do that. Showing up to a spiritual fight without your armor on is just asking to get hurt. It's just asking to get wounded. If you look at your life and you're like, why am I so wounded? Why am I so hurt? You showed up without your armor on. That's why. You show up with your armor on, you're a lot less likely to get hurt and a lot less likely to get wounded. Showing up to a spiritual fight without your armor on It's like fighting a forest fire with a squirt gun. It's really just pointless. Nehemiah and the people prayed and they kept building, but they were prepared for war. Look at verses 13, 16, and 17. It says So I stationed armed men behind the wall in the lowest places at the open position where it was least protected. I stationed the people in families, in families in families with their swords, spears, and bows. Jump to verse 16. It says... From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work while the other half held the spears, shields, bows, and breastplates as the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that everyone worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other hand. We have an assignment to rebuild the walls of this church family and it comes with significant adversity. We cannot think that we will rebuild the walls, that we will grow this church, that we will reach people that don't know Jesus with the love and the power of Jesus Christ and not experience adversity from the enemy. But notice that Nehemiah put families together to build together. And they were prepared to fight together. And he put people in place to in, in, to, to protect the most vulnerable places, the lowest places in the wall, the most open, the most vulnerable places. He put people there. And then he had everybody work with weapons in hand and armor on. Don't you show up without your armor. We have an assignment from heaven to rebuild, to advance the kingdom of God, to reach people with the love of Jesus, and welcome them into this family. This is a high calling. This is a vital calling. It's an important assignment because there's no plan B. We are God's plan for the world. You and me. There's no plan B. He works through people. It's one other verse. It's not in my notes. I'll be fast. I'm trying to be fast, but I can't find the verse. Oh, there it is. There he is. Hey, listen. Look at verse number 20. It says, Where wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet gather to us there, our God will fight for us. The trumpet is the shofar. I'm gonna be honest. I've been in worship situations and, and, and services and people pull out the shofar and they blow it and I don't always get it. I don't, I don't fully understand what's taking place, but it's okay. In the Old Testament, the shofar, as Nehemiah said, you rally to the sound of the trumpet that called people to battle, that called people to war. It was a rallying cry, but it also represents the prophetic voice in the New Testament church. When the trumpet sounded, it was a declaration at those times that the King of Kings, that God's presence was there and he was fighting for his people. This is a prophetic house. We will speak and declare the words that God gives us, whether they be prophetic words straight from Scripture or whether they be words of knowledge and words directly to people. This is a prophetic house, and we will rally around the prophetic voices, the sounds of the trumpet, because they help—they help bring us together. They give us direction. It's that's the the um, that sense. You know, when you're in worship and you sense all of a sudden something shifted and everything changed, that's the sound of the trumpet. Because the very presence of God just walked in the room. Now you're saying, yes, but God is everywhere. And he's everywhere all the time. I know and I understand that. And it's never changed. But there's been times in the Bible, like when they dedicated the temple, God's presence showed up in a way that it wasn't there one moment before. We are people of his presence. And we can't ever let that phrase, the presence, people of the presence, turn into something that's just language. Because when we talk about being of the presence, and did you sense the presence, we're talking about a person. This is the person of Holy Spirit in our services. When the person of Holy Spirit chooses to reveal himself to us, then everything stops because we're all about the person. Holy Spirit. We're all about the presence, the person of God. We will work together as a family. Family language has been used in this house for a very, very long time, and it's not going away. But the commitment is that it's not just going to be language that we use. We're going to continue to build family within this church. We've got examples. Hasn't always been done well. It won't always be done well in the future. But that's okay. Lift your hand up if you're like, hey, I do family well at home. Again, there's not many hands up. We're trying to figure this out, right? So here's the thing. When we don't get family right, how about we just extend grace to one another? That same grace that you want extended to you, just extend it to somebody else. Because we're good. We're all about grace when we need it. Not so much about grace when you need it, but when I need it. Come on, give me grace. It's okay. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. It goes both ways. So we will work together as a family. We will fight the spiritual battle together as a family. And we will protect the, the most vulnerable places and people within this family. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that we are not alone, that you never, not for one moment, you ever left us. Did you ever turn your back on us? Did you ever walk away from us? You have always been here. You are here now. and You will always be here. Holy Spirit, help us to fulfill the assignment that you've given us in the day that you've given that assignment to us that we would build the wall in front of us with passion, with zeal, with great energy. Everyone has a place here. And everyone needs to be in their place fulfilling the assignment that God has given them. Help us to do that. Help us to connect people to their purpose. and Help us to impact communities with hope. In Jesus' name, amen.